Uh, I am currently, if I can be as raw and real as possible, I'm currently in the darkest and hardest storm of my life. And if you think that's dramatic, because I was talking to my wife during this week, she said, Tom, that sounds a little dramatic to kick off the, the message with. I asked her, I said, tell me of one other storm in our life and in our marriage that we've gone through that hasn't been this difficult. And she paused. She was like, you've always had a flair for the dramatic, go for it. Now, <laughs> I'm just, uh, I am in that space. And, and as I was praying for this storm and saying, Lord, would you please deliver me from this storm? The, the answer that I got from God was incredibly sobering. And again, dramatic, the most disappointed I think I've ever been in God's answers for me. Uh, it came, we, we've been in a two-year battle in a, in a difficult season of life. And the reason it's so difficult is not because it's just a singular area of our life. It is impacting every category of our life. It's impacting our marriage. It's impacting our parenting. It's impacting our finances. It's impacting our, our, our relationships with friends and family, our community. It's impacting our health. It's impacting uh, uh, our work. It's impacting my wife's work. And, and I'm in a mode of going, Lord, would you help end this season? Would you put a close to this chapter on our life? And what he said to me next, I couldn't have been more uh, disappointed. Wind in the sails, completely gone. He said, Tyler, you are not going to talk your way out of this one. And why that stung so much to give more context to it is I am an A-type personality person. And I went after this for two years with all that I had. I read books. I listened to podcasts. I strategized. I vision cast for the family. I crunched the numbers. I did the strategy. I brought Nicole into it. And if you know her, she's got a, a faster and more strategic, more logical mind than I do. She's one of those people who plays like four or five games of chess simultaneously as six steps ahead. I'm in the corner playing checkers and drawing my feelings with crayons. Like that's the mode that we do. And so we're, we're working together on this. And no matter what we do, no progress is beating this storm. We went supernatural on it as well. We prayed, we fasted, we gave generously. We read scripture together. We held on to prophetic words that speak about breakthrough and the promise and nothing we were doing was working. And as I am seeking the Lord six months into this thing, not realizing it's going for another year and a half, the Lord says to me, hey, Tyler, this storm, Nicole's not going to logic your way out of this, and you are not going to visioneer and talk your way out of this. What do you do with that? What do you do when the God who can cause all storms to cease says, not yet? What do you do when you've been battling as hard as you possibly can? You're physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually exhausted, and nothing you do seems to help the situation or make any forward momentum progress. Have you ever asked this question, God, what are you doing? I don't, mean, I don't mean the polite, God, would you show me what you're doing in this season of my life? I mean, you're driving down the road in your car and somebody cuts you off and that's the last straw and you start slamming your steering wheel going, God, what are you doing? God, exclamation point, what are you doing? Question mark, exclamation point, emoticon poop. <laughs> that kind of God, what are you doing? Can you help a brother out? I'm trying to lead and serve you well. I'm trying to, to lead my family with uh, biblical values. I'm trying to do all the right things to serve you. Can you not just help me out? Do you even care that kind of God? What are you doing question? Have you ever asked those questions? I think some of us, if you're like me, I have that in my head and heart on a continual basis, but to say it out loud in my car, that made it real. Then God knew exactly how I was feeling, even though he already knew. Now I, knew, I, now I was saying it. Welcome to Northlands Church, where we like to keep it chipper around here. Here we go. 
It's going to be a good service. We are in a series called Anchors, Anchors, Holding Fast to God in the Storms of Life. And the whole premise of this series is we want to give you and we want to preach it to ourselves, anchors, truths that we can hold on to. When you're being tossed by winds and waves and you don't have time to remember an entire book of the Bible, what's a statement? What's an anchor? Something that you can hold on to and believe. I know this to be true about God. What is that thing? And so this week, here's the anchor that I want to give you. And it's not from a place of seeing the breakthrough and day of deliverance yet. It's what I've learned in the storms of life. It is this. I have found this to be true. God, God is a good and trustworthy father. God is good to you and he's good to me all the time. And every action and every thought that he has for you, he wants to work good in your life. And he is trustworthy. You can trust him with your life more than you can trust yourself with your life. And... He is a father. Fathers protect, they care for, they guard, they watch over, they lead and guide, they help children grow in freedom and independence. And this is who God is. I have found this to be true in this season that I find myself in. God is a good and trustworthy father. I wanna talk about the purposes of God for our life. In week one, Greg spoke about the plans that God has for us. Last week, Tom did a phenomenal job talking about God's delivering power. And I wanna talk about God's purposes for us because purpose is very, very important when you're dealing with the pains and the storms of life. I want to talk about two areas of purpose. I want to talk about God's purpose for us. And I want to talk about God's purpose for the storms that are in our life. To understand these two sets of purposes will help us filter through the pains that we might currently be feeling. If I could say it this way, when it comes to our purpose, if you cannot see God's purpose for yourself, if we can't see God's purpose for us, we will be blinded by our pain. Have you, ever, have you ever hurt so bad, either in a heartache or perhaps a physical illness, whatever it may be, and it's a, it's a debilitating, you can't think of anything else. They, they, he broke up with you, she broke up with you, and it's been months, and all you can think about is that you're stirring your cold soup, just thinking about that relationship of what could have been. Everything else kind of goes, or maybe it's a physical thing. You're going, I'm, I'm, I'm either throwing up. I can't get out of bed. I've got a crazy fever. I'm not thinking about my to-do list. I'm not thinking about getting the car waxed. I'm not cleaning the house. All I can think about is pain. And what I have found is that if all you have is pain to think on, it begins to tunnel your vision. Everything else doesn't seem to matter. It's just the pain that you're feeling. Purpose is another way of viewing life. If you can see God's purpose, then the pain is no longer going to be blinding to you. If you can see God's purpose for yourself, then you, can, you won't be blinded by the pain. If I could say it this way, if you miss God's purpose for the storm, you will miss God's heart for you. If we miss God's purpose for the storm in our lives, then we will miss God's heart for us. And that's what I want to do. I want to bring clarity to God's heart, his motivation, the way he thinks about you when you are in good seasons and in bad seasons. And I want to be able to answer that question. God, what are you doing? That's where I want us to go today. And so I've entitled a message that I'm calling the purpose of sons and storms. The purpose of sons and storms. And as, as I was looking through the scriptures, um, I, I literally just came to Romans chapter eight and Paul just preaches this far better than I can. So I'm just gonna read Romans eight to us today. Because as I look at Romans eight, Paul just goes, here's two things that you have to understand if you're called to be a son or child of God. Here's what you need to know. Uh, you need to understand God's purpose for you and the storms of life. And that because, even though you're a son, it doesn't mean you're exempt from the storms. And if you think that's the case, you will be disillusioned when storms happen. This is a very challenging thing. I'm going to get into it a little bit later. This is something that's very immediate in our current culture, especially with millennials and the Gen Zs who are leaving the church at this time because they said, hey, I tried Jesus and it didn't work for me. 
And so I wanna dive into that a little bit today. And that's what, exactly what Paul said as he's writing this letter to the Roman church. He's writing in chapter eight. He said, I, all I want you to do is understand God's purpose for you and the storms that he has you in. And so uh, verses uh, one to 13, he, he breaks down two types of people. He says, hey, there's two types of people. There are those who are in the world who live by the flesh and there's are people who are led by the spirit. And if you're led by the spirit, you're a child of God. And to just break that down even more, he, he's saying, hey, if you were in the flesh, if you were in the world, what you are saying is you're saying, when it comes to the storms of my life, I'm going to do it myself. I don't, I don't need anybody's help. I certainly don't need God's help. I'm just gonna manage my life. I'm gonna get through it myself. And I love what Greg said in week one. I don't care how optimistic you are. Uh, the glass is always full. Eventually, if you live long enough, you will bleed. Eventually, your optimism will run dry and a wave will hit you and you will not have the strength in and of yourself to get back up. And so Paul goes, if you're in the flesh, if you're in the world, you are opting to say, I'm going to do life by my terms and my ways and I'm gonna navigate the storms of my life the way I think it should happen. And Paul goes, those who are in Christ, they are led by the spirit of God and they are children of God. And then verses 14 to 39, he goes, but you also have storms. You're not exempt, like the, you're not exempt. These in the flesh, led by the spirit, you're both going to face storms. It's going, how do you want the boat to operate? And so Paul goes from verse 14 down to 39, he is now assuming that everybody who continues reading this portion of his letter are spirit-led children of God. And so keep that in mind as we read Romans. He's talking to those who put their faith in Jesus. Verse 14 is where we'll start. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back to in fear. He's referencing the last 13 verses. In other words, he's saying, you are not slaves to the flesh. You are not slaves of the world. You are children of God. And then he goes, here's what you can expect as a child of God. Uh, verses 15 will continue. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry to God, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Oh, this is amazing. Children of God, we get to be co-heirs. God is our father and he's gonna give us a rich inheritance that's a shared wealth with Jesus himself. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. And we love that part. And then Paul says something that goes, oh, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. Time out, Paul. What did you just say? That we may be glorified. No, before that. Provided that, after that, we suffer. Hold the phones. I was with team Jesus until you said that. I, I, I don't know if I signed up for that. And Paul, knowing that their readers are gonna get hung up on this idea that, hey, just because you're a Jesus follower doesn't mean that you will not face sufferings of many kinds. He goes, I wanna explain this. So he continues on, verse 18. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul is saying, when it comes to being a believer, when it comes to being a Jesus follower, you have a, a two-point point of view on life. We're not like those who are in the flesh. We're not those who are all in consuming in our pain. Meaning when it comes to being in the flesh, being in the world, this time, this present, this present moment, this is what we have. And so you view all of your life through a single lens of your pain. If things are good, life is good. If things are bad, life is bad. And you have this singular view. Paul's going, no, 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 no. We serve a God who is outside of time and space. Meaning he sees the day of suffering and the storm that we are in, but he also sees the day of glory. 
And he goes, I live with a two-point point of view. I don't deny the realities of suffering. I don't deny the challenges of life. I see them for what they are, but I also have a great hope in a day of deliverance coming. And he goes, this is how believers are called to live. Not in denial of the suffering, but a continual hope that this day of glory overshadows. When I consider my suffering, it is nothing in comparison to the day of hope and deliverance. And so we don't have to deny that life sucks sometimes. It just means that we have a better day that will come. And Paul's going, have a two point point of view. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22, for we know that the whole of creation has, uh, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but verse 23, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Jesus is saying, I am making children of God, mature children. God's heart for humanity is I free and I heal. And for those that I have freed and I have healed, I want to make them liberators and healers. And I don't know about you, but if you're a liberator and a healer, and that's what you're called to, then most likely you're going to be used in seasons that are dark, filled with bondage and not whole. So this idea that life is going to be like rainbows and unicorns and Skittles, and you're never going to have to have a day. I'm going, you were made for such a time as this. And so if we have this disillusion that, oh no, we would never have hard days. I'm going, you were made and wired to get into the fray. This is why creation groans and is in bondage and says, I want liberation. And they go, this is why it, it groans for sons and daughters because those are the liberators and the healers. But not only do we liberate that which is on the outside storms, but we have the capacity, the inward groanings as well to put silent those things the frustration, the anger, the heartache that you have in here, you also have the ability to silence that as well. This is why sons and daughters of God matter so much. Not because we have some sort of special privilege, but because we were put here on earth to do work and to fight. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I love this verse because, and there's, who wrote Hebrews? We're not really sure. There's a big suspicion of Paul. But Hebrews chapter six, verse 19 says, let hope be an anchor for your soul. Let hope be an anchor for your soul. In other words, he's going, you know what anchors are good for? When you're in horrible seasons of life. You know when you don't need hope as an anchor? When you're in great seasons of deliverance and the lake is just completely quiet. That's not the time for anchors. You need anchors when you're in the worst and rough of it. And so he's going, hope that is in a day of deliverance, that's no hope at all. If it's, if it's hoping for something you already have and see, that's not hope. Hope is used for when you're in the storms of life. And so God is saying to my children, you have hope as an anchor. It doesn't mean that the storm will not come. It means that when the storm comes, you have an anchor for your soul. And it gets even better than that. What can you expect as a son of God? Not only will you have hope as your anchor in the storm, but the Holy Spirit of God also is interceding for you. Verse 26, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness 
for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Has your life ever been so jacked up that when somebody asks you, what can I pray for? You're like, I don't even know where to begin. You ever had that? Like pick a category, pick a card. Like, like you don't even know how to pray. It's fine. That's like finances and health is great or whatever, you know, relationships, whatever. The Holy, the Holy Spirit, even if you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit is ever interceding for you. If you're exhausted and you can't even utter the words of a day of hope, the Holy Spirit is uttering them for you. He's interceding for you. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, here's where we go. What is God's purpose for us? We'll get to purpose of the storm in a minute. What's God's purpose for us? Romans chapter eight, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, Paul's writing to believers under the assumption to believers. So those who love God, those who are children of God, not those who are in the flesh, not those who are saying, I'm gonna do life by myself. Those who love God, that he works all things together, the, the day of suffering and the day of deliverance. He works all things together for our good, for those who are called according to his purpose. What's God's purpose? Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to, conform, to be conformed in the image of the Son, Jesus, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So, so God is saying, here's my purpose. I am making you a son. I am making you a child of God. But not just any son. I have a picture and a prototype in mind. His name is Jesus, the perfect son, the perfect picture of mature sons. Parents, you, I mean, you can raise your hand. We'll shame you for it. I don't think anybody's ever done this before. When you brought your child home from the hospital, you put him in the crib, drop him in, you go, hey, mom and dad are gonna go out for some queso and chips. We'll see you in 18 years. Good luck. And you like walk away and you don't come back 18, until 18 years later. Like who parents likes that? Anybody wanna, I didn't think so. We don't parent like this. Meaning, meaning that being a child of God does not stop on the day of salvation. Because God is a good and trustworthy father. And what does a good and trustworthy parent do? They walk with their kid. They don't leave them in the crib. They're constantly working with them to mature them and to grow them in independence and freedom because they have dreams for that child. And those dreams will not be fulfilled if all they do is go, awesome, you're one of my kids now, see ya. That's not how God works. And so we know, okay, what's God's purpose for us? To make us a son, but not just to leave us as sons and daughters, but to mature us into a certain level of maturity. And you go, what's that maturity? To be conformed in the image and likeness of Jesus. I love uh, Mark chapter four. Uh, uh, Greg hit this in week one. And, and so I'm not gonna go through all the details, but Mark chapter four, verse 35 to 41, uh, Jesus has ministered with his disciples all day. They're exhausted. And he says, hey, let's get away from the crowd. Everybody get in the boat. What we'll do is we'll go across the lake and we'll, we'll get some rest on the other side. We're going to the other side. And in the middle of that trip, while they're there, a massive storm comes. And we're talking about professional fishermen, men who are well-equipped and well-able to navigate through rough terrain and seas. A storm hits them and it's so, uh, it's so powerful, so devastating that even these professionals are going, hold on, we can't handle this. In other words, they're not gonna be able to talk their way out of this one. They're not gonna be able to fish their way out of this one, sail their way through this. And so in their exasperation, Jesus, who's in the back of the boat and is falling asleep on a cushion, just chilling, they wake him up and they go, Jesus, don't you care? We are going to die. The boat is filling up with water. 
Now here's what's impressive to me. Jesus, he, he gets up, first, first picture of Jesus, he gets up, he looks at the, the storm and he goes, peace be still. The storm stops and everybody is in awe. About who is this Jesus who can literally tell waves that it's time to stop? And they listen. That's an incredible picture of the kind of son that God wants us to be, that we would be sons of power. This is a picture of the maturing that God is walking us through to be like Jesus. If we're going to be like Jesus, then we have to be sons of power. But that's not the only picture of Jesus in this, in this account. Before he gets up, he's also sleeping on a cushion in a storm. And I, I put the picture of the boat up just because I want us to be very clear. This wasn't like a Titanic sized ship where there's three levels. And if you're on the main deck, you realize that there's a storm. But if you're on the lower level and you're sleeping in a, in a nice cushion area, you can't really feel the boat rock. That's not what Jesus was in. Jesus was in the back of one of these. So Jesus is getting wet. Jesus's cushion is probably soaked out. And he's just like, I'm just not going to wake up though. Cause I need my sleep. And that kind of rest, the, the guy who can say, peace be still, that's incredible. The guy who can sleep in that when lightning's booming and things are going on, the guy who can do that, that's also impressive to me. See, if we're going to be a mature son, a mature child of God, we have to be a son of power, but we also have to be a son of peace. And I, I would argue the miraculous happens in both of these because the reason Jesus could stand up and say, peace be still to the storms out here and creation groaning out here is because he was also able to settle the storms that are raging in here. If we're gonna be sons of God, mature sons of God, that we must be able to settle, regardless of what's happening in our circumstances, settle what's happening in here before we address what's out here. That if all we are are sons of peace, then we are weak sons. But if all we are are sons of power, we're immature sons. James and John, sons of thunder. Jesus, should we just burn this city to the ground, call fire from heaven? Easy, James and John. Calm down. I gotta, we got to fix whatever's going on in here where you're cool with like burning a whole city down. Let's fix this. And then we'll talk about the power. We are called to have both of these things. That's why it's a value for us here at Northlands, not just to trust God for the miraculous, not just to trust God with power, not just to celebrate the miraculous moves of our circumstances, but that also regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the 2020 you and I had, that we would be settled here in the soul. This is powerful. Back into Romans. Verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Then Paul asked a very uh, straightforward question in light of everything that we just read. What then shall we say to these things? In other words, everything that you now know about what God is doing to make you a son and, the re and, and in regards to the fact that we will face suffering of many kinds, what should we say? We need to get into what's the purpose of storms in our life. We talked about God's purpose is to mature you as a son, mature you as a child of God, but what's God's purpose for the storms of life? How should we view these things is the question. How should we live in light of this? Continues on in verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son from suffering, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Verse 35 is where there's some significant hangups. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress 
or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Now, now here's, here's what I've just been, um, for the last probably six to eight months as I'm watching things play out uh, in our culture, there, there is, studies are showing millennials and Gen Zs are leaving the church in, in some significant numbers and droves. And maybe it's a little anecdotal, but the people that I am talking to that fit into this category, and let's be very mindful, millennials are not tweens loitering in the streets anymore. That is not a millennial. Millennials are like 35, 38 years old, running their own business, they, they're parents. So when you think of the millennial, don't be like, those teenagers. Like, these are full grown adults with kids. I am a millennial and there's older millennials. They are leaving in droves. And part of the reason what I've heard, and maybe it's a little anecdotal, but the conversations that I'm having are from two kind of categories and they are broad spectrum. So to be fair to that, there's what they're calling now the ex-evangelical and the deconstructing. Those who are saying, hey, we grew up in a, in, a, in a Christian home culture and we're just not sure what's true anymore. So we're gonna deconstruct everything until we get down to what do we actually believe? I'm not against you figuring out what it is that you believe, but it comes from scriptures like this. And then there's the ex-evangelicals who I've heard many testimonies going, I tried Jesus and it didn't work. And what they mean by that is that when it came to this kind of scripture, they said, hey, if you just follow the will of God for your life, you're never gonna have hardship. If you, just, if you just make sure that you abstain from sex before marriage, you'll be totally fine. If you just make sure that you don't drink, smoke, chew, or run with women that do, you're gonna be just fine. If you burn those ACDC, Metallica CDs, if you're some of the younger millennials, the Coldplay, if you burn those CDs, you're gonna be in the will of God and everything's gonna be just fine. I, I lost you with Coldplay, didn't I? I, I, thought, I thought Coldplay was Christian this whole time. No, in fact, it's not. No. It's fine though. I mean, I listen, it's fine, it's fine. If we just, essentially, I mean, I've literally heard testimony saying, I was told in essence, without being it said fully, if I just color by numbers this life, then everything's gonna work out. And I know bad things are gonna happen. We're, we're human beings. But what we were thinking was like small fender benders. And like, I might lose that job that I didn't actually care about. in little storms, not like serious storms. I, and so what is ending up happening is they're going, I was told that if I run with that kind of crowd, I'm gonna have horrible, horrific storms. And so I did everything to follow the rules and do all the right things. And my dad still got the diagnosis of cancer. And my wife still left me. And I found out my husband's cheating on me. Like those are not stories that Christian sons and children of God, that we wouldn't have those kind of stories. And so now we're in this mode of I'm leaving the church because I tried Jesus and it didn't work for me. And the problem with that is that's not the Jesus that's in the Bible. That is a false gospel and narrative. And you've been disillusioned if you believe, like I went into church, I lived my whole life as a good Christian and it failed me. Because that's not what a verse like this means. What this verse means is not, hey, come into the love of Christ, come into the hand of God and he's gonna whisk you away from all the problems of the world. That's not the case. And what ends up happening is when problems start happening, you go, is there something wrong with me? Is God mad at me? Is there something wrong with God? Has he forgotten me? Has he abandoned me? Storms in our life is not a sign or a piece of evidence that God's relationship with you has been in any way severed or even unwinding. Storms of life are storms of life. And so when we read verse 35, it is, it is this instead. It is saying, where's my storm of life? Verse 35. Ah, pages, here we go. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
When you face tribulation, that won't separate you. When you face persecution and distress, that won't uh, uh, pull you away. When you face famine, when you face nakedness, when you face danger, when you face sword, none of these things can pull you away from the love of God. Not if you're in the love of God, none of these things will ever happen to you. It's saying, no, these things are not powerful enough to sway you. You can be asleep on the boat in the middle of a storm and still have peace in your soul. That's the beauty of the gospel. And so you say, Tyler, where, where do you get that? Verse 36, as it is written for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That is never on the coffee mugs. It's always, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's never, yeah, I got, that was a good one, huh? No, that wasn't even in my notes. That was just, I, can we get this printed out? That'll be our next conference. Like sheep led to the slaughter. Amen. Oh, this is so good. I'm glad that I start my day like this. Fantastic. That's going to be in the ignite. Okay. Okay. Here's the purpose of storms and what God is doing in our lives. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In other words, he ends, we are regarded as sleep led to the slaughter. No, in all things, in the day of suffering, in the day of deliverance, in everything in between, no, in all things that we face, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What does God wanna do? He wants to use storms to strengthen us, to make us strong, to increase our capacity so that we might be liberators and healers for the world around us. This is what it means to be a part of the Christian life. Not consumerism, not this idea of, man, God, what have you done for me lately? But Lord, what can I do for you? Regardless of the hardship, I'm all in. I'm stepping in to the fray. For I am sure that neither death, which we will face, nor life, which we now have, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor the heights of our life, nor the depths and valleys of our life, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. End of chapter. God's purpose for you and for me is sonship. God's purpose for storms is to make mature sons. If I could say it this way, sons master storms. Storms strengthen sons. This is what we are called to live in. Sons master, sons of peace and power. That's mastery. Sons master storms and storms, they strengthen and they grow mature sons that can come out of the crib. I've got time, so I'm going there. I've got a story and an illustration and we're done. Um, worst day that I had as a father was one of our big like kid accidents where like, you know, your kid scrapes their knee. It's not bad. But like when you have to go to the hospital, you're like, am I a good parent? Like one of those stories. Uh, we're, we're moving from Tucker to Norcross. And I asked some friends of mine in hindsight, they didn't have any kids, so they didn't see the problem. Uh, I asked them, hey, give me your best moving strategy. They go, well, what we do is we take all of our books, instead of putting them in boxes to carry them to our new house, we put them in suitcases so that we can roll them out. And so uh, what we did is we packed up all of our books and Nicole reads like crazy. So we had like three suitcases, 250 pound books, all Jane Austen, like, so they're thick novels. Uh, and, and, and so we're packing these things out and we stick them by our house and we have, or by our door and we have them there for about a week. And while I'm at work, I get a call from Nicole and she goes, we were playing on the ground and one of the books shifted in the suitcase and it just toppled the suitcase over and it, and it crushed uh, Evie's leg. She goes, I'm pretty sure it's broken. As a husband, what's your first answer to your wife? It's not broken. You haven't seen the evidence of it. You don't know the situation at all. You're just, you're just, it's not broken. It's not broken. It's called denial. So we get, 
Best strategy that a husband has. I think it's broken. It's not broken. It's fine. We're fine. Don't tell mom. So we, so we go to the hospital, lo and behold, a stress fracture and a, and a slight break on the ankle and it's broken. And, and so the, the nurses go, we gotta put this in a soft splint uh, and get it ready for a hard cast. And so we need her leg to be straight uh, because dad, if, it doesn't, if, it doesn't, if you don't keep it straight, uh, it's gonna mess up her walk permanently. And so, so they're wrestling Evie. She's frantic. She's screaming. She's crying. She's about two years old. She doesn't understand what's going on. She met two strange ladies who are now wrestling her down and holding her legs together. And they can't get her to stay still. So they go, hey, dad, we're gonna need you to hold her down. Because if she doesn't, if she moves anymore, it, it could really mess this thing up and she'll have a permanent issue. And so I remember this, I'm, I'm sitting, the table's here, Evie's head's right here. They're messing with her legs over here. And I just take my hands on her shoulders. And I just press down. It's so like 200 pounds, just like press. And she's not moving. All she can move is this. She's like, <laughs> and she is crying and she is frantic. And then out of nowhere, she looks up at me and she gives me this look of betrayal and distrust that I still think about and it haunts me. It was this thing of dad, how could you? you? You brought me here. These strangers are causing me even more pain and you're helping them keep me in pain. An immature child sees the pain that they're in, pain funnels our vision. But if you can understand a bigger picture of purpose, and as children of God, we've been given the mind of Christ, the wisdom of God, we can see two points of reference, not just the pain that we're in, but the work that is happening in place. But I can't explain that to a two-year-old little girl. And so I had come to the understanding of going, here's what I'm, here's what I'm, I'm settled in. As a father who loves his daughter and does not want permanent damage, I am going to hold her down on the table until the work is done. In other words, Evie looks up at me and she goes, dad, stop this. And I said, no, not yet. I want my daughter as a father, I want every single one of her days to be filled with unicorns, rainbows, and red Skittles, which are her favorite. And I only want those days for her. I also want her to be a mature and ferocious world leader. And I I have come to the conclusion that I can't have both of these things. If I succeed in this one, she'll never become this. If I shield her from all the pains and the hardships of the world, she will never know pain and hardship. And I have found that if you do that, you you might give comfort, but you're not raising mature children. And this is what the Lord would have for us. Um, I I have an illustration that's just kind of helped me in this process. And and I'll close with this. And I'd love to close out with um, uh, some worship. Uh, I I found this to be the case. Anytime we face hardship, our natural reaction is to go, Lord, deliver us. Day one of the storm, Lord, deliver us from this. I don't want this. In other words, you go, you go, Tyler, you've been in a battle for two years. What is it that you want? Tyler, what do you want? I want the promise. When do you want it? Now. Day one, I enter the storm with my wife and our family. And you go, Tyler, what is it you want? I want the promise. When do you want it? I want it right now. And the Lord says, not yet. There's a process to get from, from where you're starting and to the promise. And so I, I, want, I want things immediate, I want deliverance, and that's what's good for me, but I don't see the big picture at all times. God sits outside of time and he sees the beginning of our storms and he sees the end where the promise and the day of deliverance is coming and he sees them both because he's outside of time and space, he sees them both in equal measure as if they're the same. We are stuck in time though, we are stuck right here in this moment and we don't like it, it's uncomfortable. But can I tell you that there's other things that the Lord has been doing in my life in the storm. Just because you're in a storm does not mean that you're abandoned by God. God is still at work in your life and in my life, even in the worst days of our life.
because he is a good and trustworthy father. I wanna give you three anchors that the Lord uh, gave me or has been giving me in this season that I found myself in. Number one, he's given me connection. I have never been more dependent on God and I've never been more close to God than in this season of my life than right now. I have learned truly what it means when Spurgeon says, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me up against the rock of ages. In other words, when my strength failed, when my optimism is gone, when I can't talk my way out of this one, I have found that my God is strong and he holds me secure in place even when I fail to. I have connection with him. Not only that, but I found I've also increased in capacity. Who I am today is different from day one of the storm that I've entered. He's continuing to grow us in capacity. He's continuing to make us stronger individuals. Take heart, because if you're facing storms with big waves, it's a sign of evidence, not that God has abandoned you, but that you have a big call, that he is working massive purpose in your life, that the things that used to be massive mountains will one day be like molehills to you. This message for me is not a theory. It is one of conviction and practitionership because I know my God and what he has worked in my life. And this is what James chapter one, verse two to four, it says it plainly and you can bring it up uh, when it comes to capacity. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials, when you face storms of many kinds, even if they hit all categories of your life, because you know that the testing of your faith, it produces perseverance. And he says, let the waves and let perseverance do their work. What's the work? What do storms do? They strengthen sons. They mature us and they make us complete. For what reason? So that we in this life may lack nothing. We have connection and we have capacity. And this one has become my favorite. We have conviction. Uh, about six months into our storm and journey, I, I, I was asking the Lord from day one, Lord, deliver us, Lord, deliver us, Lord, deliver us. And about six months in, I said, Lord, what are you doing? And he said, Tyler, I'm putting substance on your message. I'm putting substance on your message. Paul, who wrote Romans, who wrote most of the New Testament, his back was jacked up by whips and scars. He was shipwrecked multiple times. He was bitten by snakes. He was imprisoned often. He was rejected in many cities and eventually beheaded for his conviction. And I, I have found that it's people like that who have that kind of substance in their life who can still look to God and say, you're a good father. That kind of conviction, that inspires me. That kind of resolve, it helps me. If you're going to be a comforter for somebody, you will have to face days of uncomfortableness. If I can say it this way, if I can say it this way, nobody wants their ministry to be of pain. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to preach messages that come from the deep traumas of their heart. But can I, can I tell you that those who have preached such messages, they are the most powerful and most true because they come from a real conviction. And I know this, nobody wants to have a ministry from pain, but also this, nobody wants to be ministered to by someone who doesn't know their pain. We don't want coffee mug Christians to sit there and look at us in the storm and go, man, just by his stripes, you're healed. And they don't actually know. Nobody wants a ministry of pain, but I'm telling you, when you minister from those traumas, when you minister and you have messages in your mouth, and many of you have these messages, you are ministering on a platform of great pain and trauma, and you are delivering and you are healing people in the nations. And this is a ministry that God has given you. Which brings me to a conclusion of the storms. Why do storms matter so much? Because I have found, even though when I ask God, God, deliver me, would you deliver me from this? I have come to this conclusion, more than taking you somewhere or giving you something, God is far more invested in making you someone.
your life, my life, it is a promise from God and none of his promises will come back to him void. More than delivering something to us in the temporary, he wants to put something in us that is eternal. There are promises that I have prayed for and I've trusted the Lord for. And the reality is, is when I get that promise, some of those promises are temporary, meaning I will not take them with us in the life to come. But these things, this kind of resolve, this follows you into eternity. And God is far more invested in making sons and daughters like this more than just giving promises in the here and now. So what do we do in light of these things? What do we do in light of these truths? Tyler, we are stuck in time. Tyler, we are dealing with the storms of our life. What do we do when we see a God who's outside of time and space, but we're stuck in time somewhere in the storm in the process? We do what the psalmist continually say, would you wait on the Lord? Eventually, one day, the day of the storm and suffering and the day of deliverance and breakthrough, they will come together in our time and we will see it. But until these two points come together, we will wait on the Lord. We will put our trust in God, our Father. We will embrace the season that we are in and we will hold fast to the promise and hope that we have. Let hope be your anchor. I don't know what season of life you're in, but I know this, God has not abandoned you and he is not done giving you good gifts, regardless of what day in the process you're in. And so I've asked the team to come up and this song has been holding me fast uh, in the last six to eight months. It's been on repeat on my Spotify, wait on the Lord. And I, would you just stand uh, where you are? Can we just worship one last time to this song? And if, if you're in any type of description of what I've described today in this storm, would you worship to this song? Let it be your mantra and let it be an anchor like it's been for me. But let's worship together. I know you've ordered every step 
the author But there's no predicting what is next Cause you hold the future And all the questions, they come second To the one I know is true Oh, you've always been true Oh, I'm gonna wait on you We thank you for these truths. We thank you that you hold us fast in the storms of life. We don't just hold on to the anchors in the storm, but we know that you are holding on to us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would secure these truths in our heart that you are a good and trustworthy Father. As we're closing, Romans chapter 8 at the beginning, of the verses that we skipped through as he's talking about what does it mean to be in the flesh and what does it mean to be led by the Spirit. 
Verses two and verses six say this, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In other words, you do not have to do these storms alone. You do not have to be abandoned to your own strength and to your own might in the storms of life. Verse six, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. God has a hope for you and it is a life that is filled with peace regardless of the circumstances that you currently find yourself in. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today needs to be that day. Because life, it is going to be a long battle and process. And if you do not have the strength of the Spirit of God with you, I just don't know how you make it through. The Bible says you don't. The Bible says it leads to death. And so if you're here today and you're saying, Tyler, I wanna know more about this Jesus. I'm gonna be outside in the front lobbies with some of the leaders. Uh, We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to start you on this journey, give you the resources you need to continue in this process that the Lord speaks about in our life. So if we just bow our heads and close our eyes, I'm gonna ask the Lord to just seal these words. Holy Spirit, you see our hearts and you see our minds. Lord, those who are not in you, those who are not in Christ, I pray that you would grab their hearts and you would grab their attention and that you would draw them to a place of surrender to say that you are with them in these storms, that they do not have to battle alone, that they do not have to go through these storms of life alone, that you are always with them. You're interceding for us. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. And therefore we are not without hope because we have God. But those who are not in Christ, Lord, I pray that you would draw them today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, As we're closing today, every single week we have our ministry.